This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 321, submission number 1949, The Starland Vocal Band Show. The Starland Vocal Band Show aired on CBS from July 31st, 1977 to September 4th, 1977 for six episodes. And usually we air the theme song here, but for reasons that will become really obvious later on, we can't. Because, well, the first song that they perform on every episode, and I know this because I've watched all six episodes, is their one and only hit. That would be 1976's Afternoon Delight. We can't play it, obviously, because of copyright issues. But we can tell you about the rest of the intro of a show that was so bad that the announcer said he was glad that no one would be watching it. And the show was actually so bad that it was canceled shortly after the six episodes went to air. The announcer, on the other hand, he's done well for himself. And, um, well, I'm just going to play the intro and let you figure it out. The Starland Vocal Band. Recognize that hit? Well, tonight, the group that made it famous travels from Washington, D.C. to Malibu, California, giving concerts and performing with some of America's brightest comedians. You guessed it, gang. Behind me, a crack production crew. It's a Sunday night. What do you got to do anyway? So, gentlemen, start your tape machines. Well, that was a very young meteorologist out of Indiana named Dave Letterman. We all start somewhere, and David Letterman started on this show, which featured this group. It was a group of two couples, one married, one engaged, soon to be married, and they all have kooky adventures on the road from their native Georgetown in Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles. Now, we all know who the Starland Vocal Band is. We have a couple of folk singers, Bill and Tappy Danoff, and a couple of uh, rock-slash-pop singers, John Carroll and Margot Chapman. They all met in D.C. They formed this group, which was basically a backing group for John Denver, especially when they did Take Me Home Country Roads, which they actually performed in the first episode of this show. And they were ultimately signed to Denver's label, Windsong Records. And in 1976, the Starland Vocal Band released their debut album featuring their one and only hit, Afternoon Delight. And anyone who's heard Afternoon Delight knows why it became 
as big a hit as it did. They were talking about getting some in the PM, y'all. They wanted people to do it. <laughs> they did. They in in the afternoon. Yeah. Right after lunch. Right after lunch. Work off the calories. What the hell is that? That's eugenics. And this was perhaps the biggest song of 1976. It was a number one hit in the U.S. It was nominated for four Grammys in 1977, winning two of them, Best Arrangement for Voices and Best New Artists. And they followed it up with a follow-up album, Rearview Mirror, that featured this song as well. And I guess to promote the album and the fact that this song was on the album, they struck a deal with CBS under producer Jerry Weintraub, who happens to be a manager of John Denver and, by extension, this band, to produce six episodes to air over the summer of 77. Basically would chart the adventures of the group as they road tripped their way from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles, performing in various venues and for various audiences along the way. Now, we've covered a number of variety shows on this show. We know you can't just have one act be the star attraction without having a little bit of filler. We've seen it on Pink Lady. We've seen it in SNL. We've seen it on the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. And this show has its fair share of players as well. All of them just brilliant comedic minds if you think about it. Of course, we talked about the announcer slash correspondent, David Letterman, who's basically there to drum up support for the group, chart their journey across country, and basically sow the seeds for future comedic greatness. We also have, because they are a DC-based group, the political comedy stylings of Mark Russell, And we also have, playing every character under the sun, it seems, a guy we talked about in a previous entry, Jeff Altman. He was a recurring character where he is this wild animal caretaker. He also played a farmer and a surfer, a rock and roll surfer. And rounding out the cast of this show would be the comedic team of Proctor and Bergman. Of course, Proctor would be Phil Proctor, as you all know him from Rugrats, among other things. And at least three different weeks of the match game Hollywood Squares Hour. Including the first week. Including the first week. Hey, Mike, let's not forget... While ahead, the 30. And the 36s. Good night, everybody. Oh, God, Mike. 
hey, you know, we just celebrated the 39th anniversary of the premiere earlier uh, this week as we record. So next year we're celebrating the 40th anniversary. And Phil's partner, Peter Bergman, of course, was a known voice talent doing voices on The Tick, Everything You Know Is Wrong, which is a short film from 1975, but mostly he is known for his writing credits. Most notably, this show, Nick Danger, The Case of the Missing Yoke, and Everything You Know Is Wrong, The Declassified Fire Sign Theater. And that's basically where uh, most of the comedy bits come from. Because if you're a big DC comedy fan, you know all about the Fire Sign Theater. And you know how uh, Peter Bergman and Phil Proctor were really big in the Fire Sign Theater. And of course, many of their bits were actually uh, videotaped from the Fire Sign Theater. As we go into the episodes proper. You didn't think I'd find an episode guide? Guess what I found? An episode guide. By the way, special shout out to YouTuber Starland and more for this episode guide. Episode 1. Dave Letterman introduces the band. Taffy drives the band to a local performance. And in that performance, Dave, as a postman, reads a fan letter from somebody, and I'm guessing it was not really Barbara Streisand, but he says it was Barbara Streisand. And really, that's all the proof you need. Come on. Yeah. This is how you know it's a bit. Then we go to the Renaissance Fair with Proctor and Bergman. Right before we see the band sitting in an overgrown field sipping lemonade... And Bill and Margot do the old pie-in-the-face comedy skit, where Bill is looking for somebody to throw a pie in their face. Margot goes into a fog cabinet and gets pied in the face. Then Dave interviews Rocky Balboa, played by Jeff Altman, because this is late 70s and Rocky would have been a really big thing. My God, Jeff Altman is Rocky Balboa. Jeff Altman is Rocky Balboa. They're not even in the steps in Philadelphia. They found like a stairway in Washington. They just they found any stairway. Him. Any stairway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to ask about this. They might as well have been on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And they were like, okay, this will do. Basically, yeah. You know what? I can buy Jeff Altman doing that. I can see him doing that. Didn't say he would do it well, but I can see him pulling it off. And then Bill introduces the band singing Take Me Home Country Roads while driving around and then parking across the street from the basement apartment where the song was written. And he was actually, you know, giving sort of the backstory. It was one of the uh, rare behind the music, rare educational sort of pretty awesome moments that you uh, listened to a music biography for. This was one of those uh, moments. And then the band performs it at Georgetown. Afterwards, the band listens outside the White House gates 
four, and this is going to be a recurring bit, messages from Jimmy Carter. And then we have Dave introducing the band's recording starting all over again in the studio. Again, uh, this is all leading up to their uh, release of their second album, Rearview Mirror. And then we have the collapsible SVB News, where Dave Letterman basically goes over the odds and ends that the mainstream media missed over the week. And then we have a comedy monologue by Mark Russell. Then we have the band at Pepperdine singing Friends With You. And then the band says goodnight to the audience. Before we continue, I just should let you know that they use the same footage for the intro and the outro for every episode. You see David Letterman doing the same bit about them firing up your recorders, and then you hear the same sort of comment about Tappy wanting to go get coffee after this. They don't even make an effort to try and dance around. It's like, okay, we're just putting a show together. Let's get it on the air as fast as possible, and then just whatever happens, happens. Episode 2. We have the intro. Then the group performs Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll outside of Tower Records in L.A. Then we have Letterman and Altman at another comedy bit. Then we have Tappy visiting the Funhouse at Glen Echo Park, where it was supposed to be designed to be really, really scary and really, really creepy, but Tappy walks through it, and there's not really much of a reaction you get out of her. Uh, the only reaction you get is when you see this drop-down prop, and then she runs out of the Funhouse. Like, it was supposed to be a haunted house instead of a Funhouse, now, I don't know if it's still at Glen Echo Park. Frankly, I don't know if Glen Echo Park is still there. I'll get into why this failed in a moment, but let's go over the episodes again. Then we have Jeff Altman as Merlin Parkins, who is supposed to be a send-up of Merlin Olson, who at this point would be the host of Mutual of Omaha's Wild America. Greg here in editing, I think Chico was confused because that is supposed to be a send-up of Marlon Perkins, the host of Wild Kingdom. And Merlin Olsen, obviously, is the former cast member of Little House on the Prairie slash NBC football commentator. And it's basically him doing shtick, and again, it's Jeff Altman it either lands or it doesn't. And then we have John of the group looking for t-shirts publicizing the band from David Letterman. And he gets all of these shirts all horrendously wrong, except for one shirt where he has the proper name of the band, but it's upside down. Then the band performs The Light of My Life at an outdoor picnic. Then we go back to the cellar door where Proctor and Bergman are doing another comedy bit. Then we have another bit with the bands listening in to Jimmy Carter. Then Prism is being recorded in a studio. 
We have the news with uh, Letterman. Another bit with Mark Russell. And then we close the show with a Georgetown performance of Rearview Mirror. Episode 3. After the intro, the group performs Everyman outdoors at what appears to be a picnic with uh, grade schoolers. Bill and Tappy are approaching rock surfer Jeff Altman, who looks like he's about to surf the Potomac River. I, 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 I can't even begin to unpack this. Then we have the news with Letterman. Another bit with Merlin Parkins. Taffy visiting the Federal Bureau of Nicknames, manned by Jeff Altman, of course. And he's basically giving her the business about the nickname Taffy. The band finally meets Jimmy Carter after hearing his messages for the last couple of weeks. The band is recording Liberated Woman at the Cherokee Studios. In this performance, you can see John tapping his foot, and Tappy's looking at him and telling him, don't do that, because we're still recording. And it's like, Margo and Tappy are basically doing the fingers-on-lips motion to John, telling him not to make any noise. No, don't do any noise. And then John, at the end of the song, was basically telling everybody to... They're basically, you know, giving her the business now. Oh, yes. Then we have another Starland vocal band mailbag where we have David showing off the studio audience of the show, which is basically stock footage of a studio audience from like the 30s and the 40s. (laughs) And then it's time for Mark Russell again. And then another Proctor and Bergman skip, another Letterman and Altman skip, And then California Day performed at the cellar door, followed by another Proctor and Bergman skit. And then the group says goodnight. Then we go to episode four, where they finally make it to L.A. and perform. Well, actually, they've been in L.A. for a while. Like we said, they're basically crisscrossing the country. But this one begins in L.A., where they perform Baby You Look Good to Me Tonight. Outside of Tiny Nailers. I wonder if... Is Tiny Nailers still in Los Angeles? Probably not. But if it were, it'd be really historic. And then we have Margot meeting David as an outdoor man. In a field where he's planting rabbits. And like many people plant vegetables, he's planting rabbits. And he digs one out of the ground. And Margot's like, I don't want to take that rabbit. I'm a vegetarian. So David just ends up tossing the stuffed rabbit off screen. It's it's weird. Then we have the band at Glen Echo Park exploring the history of the park, including the uh, Bun House, the Spook House, and the uh, Bumper Cars. Another bit with Merlin Parkins, Jeff Altman and David Letterman, and another Renaissance Bear. Then we go to Pepperdine University, where a bunch of students are listening to... The band perform Mr. Wrong. Then the band is recording Ain't It the Fall in studio, which is basically Bill singing. Then we have all four of the 
regular performers together, David Letterman, Bill Proctor, Peter Bergman, and Jeff Altman. Another Mark Russell bit. And then The Man Who Couldn't Get Away, live at the cellar door in D.C. Then we go to episode five. Which begins with third-rate romance at the cellar door. Letterman and Altman performing a bit. John Carroll visiting the fun house at Glen Echo Park. Supposedly, he has a better sort of grasp of how to react at that fun house than Tappy did, because we see some expressions on his face. Oh, by the way, we finally see Jimmy Carter addressing us, and guess who's playing Jimmy Carter? Let me guess who's playing Jimmy Carter. I'll take a guess. Go ahead, go ahead. Is it Rich Little? No. Oh my god, I'm curious, who's playing Jimmy Carter? Jeff Altman. Of course, of course it's Jeff Altman. Because of course he is. Now you see why he got the pink lady in Jeff Chuck. <laughs> because uh, Jeff Altman, he'll do anything. Well, obviously. Obviously. Then we have the Proctor and Bergman comedy skit. Then we have the bands talking about Bill helping Emmy Lou Harris write Boulder to Birmingham. And if you've ever heard Emmy Lou Harris perform Boulder to Birmingham, it is like one of her signature songs. It's really, really good. And that song is performed by the band at Georgetown. Taffy and Margot meet Dave in another bit. Then we have another song, Too Long a Journey, performed in the studio. And at the last minute, Bill has to instruct John to move up to the microphone as he has the lead vocal. And it looks like Taffy tries to hide her face to show she isn't laughing. At this point, the band pretty much knows, yeah, we're on camera. We better just watch ourselves here. And then we have the news with David Letterman, Mark Russell, and the song Starland, which is actually a B-side to Afternoon Delight from the first album. And then we have the final episode from early September, which features the song Fly Away, performed at Pepperdine, which Margot used to sing with her former band called Breakfast Again. The news with Letterman, the band at Glen Echo Park where Tappy and Margot sing side by side. A jam session at the cellar door where John does a Bob Dylan impression as Donald Duck. What?! I guess we know who the funny guy in the group is. Then Letterman and Altman do the dumb waiter comedy sketch. Then the band performs American Tune, which is just as folksy as the 70s ever got, if you ask me. We have another bit with the bands listening to Jimmy at the White House. David and Jeff do another bit. And then... Late Night Radio performed at Pepperdine. Another Phil Proctor and Peter Bergman comedy sketch. Another Mark Russell performance. And then to wrap the series up, we have a performance of St. Croix Silent Night with Bill explaining how the song came to be written and the band performing it at the cellar door. And this is right before the band says goodbye for the last time. And 
that's the show, basically. It was six weeks of more or less the same cacophony of folk music and cutting-edge political humor. And like I said, I watched all six half hours, and I was just like, yeah, I see why this only got six weeks. I did a little bit of research as to why this show wasn't as well-received or why it didn't do as well as it should have done. And it all comes back to one of five reasons. Reason number one. Fans of the Starland vocal band didn't tune in for the comedy. You are a folk band fan. Are you really going to listen to the jokes? No, you're basically there for the music. And you're basically there for the group. And you're basically there to hear them perform mostly stuff that are coming off of their uh, new album, which you're probably going to end up buying anyway. Reason number two. Fans of comedy didn't tune in for the band. I mean, we saw the uh, the comic bits that just involved the uh, players. They had a lot of chemistry with each other. Jeff Altman had a lot of chemistry with Dave Letterman, Bill Proctor had a lot of chemistry with Peter Bergman. But it seems like you are forcing the band into all of these crazy situations with all of these crazy people. And I'm not sure that they really knew how to react to all of that. Plus, most of the stuff that didn't involve David Letterman was just not funny. Number three. It was meant to be a summertime replacement. And they made it a point to hammer home the fact that this is a summertime show. But they didn't really say that it was only going to be for that one summer. It was just going to be, you know, a summertime thing. We're going to do it over the summer and then we're just going to move on with whatever. Reason number four. Look at the schedule. The Starland Vocal Band show was on at 8.30 p.m. on Sundays, which is basically one half hour after 60 minutes. And on a normal week, it would have been right after reruns of Rhoda. Mike, do you have uh, what else might have been on at that time? I do have the competition here, yes. Okay. On ABC, it went up against the second half hour of, this isn't good, The Six Million Dollar Man. <clears throat> and on NBC, it's a little bit better because this would have been the waning weeks of this show's life. But again, when you hear the show name, it's like, yeah, it ran for like seven years. But this is like literally the last month or so of those seven years. By this time, it was just called Macmillan, but we know it better as Macmillan and Wife before the wife left. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, shuck. <laughs> no, that's, no, that was earlier. So, yeah, the competition, to say the least, uh, was difficult. 
And this is the third season of Rhoda leading into Starland Vocal Band Show. I don't think it got, like, as big as ratings as the show it was spun off from until season four. Because I know it placed in the top 20 in season four, but not in season three. But it only lasted uh, three months into its fifth season. It was canceled in late 78. Oh, yeah. And then there was the fifth reason. Oh, yeah. And the band imploded. Let's do a little bit of a comparison here. In 1976, the band released their self-titled premiere album with hit number 20, rocketed by Afternoon's Delight, which hit number one in the U.S. and Canada, and number six in Australia, and number 18 in the U.K. Then they had minor hits with California Day and Hail Hail Rock and Roll, none of which hit the top 40, but all of which hit the uh, Billboard Hot 100. Then, in 1977, they finally released the follow-up, Rearview Mirror. Not a single single charted on the Hot 100, or anywhere for that matter. They tried again with Late Night Radio in 78, and 4x4 in 1980, but no record would ever be as popular as that one record and the group did not find another commercial or critical hit after it to the point where in 1981 not only did the group break up but Bill and Taffy got divorced and the year after that Margo and John who would have been married for four years at that time, also got divorced. So yeah, the band pretty much imploded. And ultimately, the Starland Vocal Band went down in history as one of the greatest one-hit wonders of the 1970s. Thoughts, guys? You know what this show reminded me of? And you actually mentioned it earlier in this episode. It reminded me of the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. Oh, God. Well, it did just because it just felt like, from what you've said, you almost couldn't like differentiate between the first show and the sixth show. And I know that was probably by design, but it just felt like there was little variety, if you will. Variety oh. in... In the, the skits and all that. Why do you have to remind me of the Hudson Brothers Razzle? Well, well, again, I'm just giving my initial reaction. So, you know, it, it may bother you, but the thing is, it's my initial thought. Yeah, at least this show had David Letterman on it. Yeah, that makes it way better than the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. And like I said before, you can actually see where the seeds of greatness are being sown by David Letterman, especially in this mailbag segment. Because, like I said, some of these episodes had fan mail delivered by Dave Letterman in a mailman's garb, so to speak. Oh, 
Yeah, that feels good. What a wonderful woman. Gotta get that recipe for crumb cake. One of my favorite occupants. Well, hi once again, home viewers. As that noticeable lull in the show indicates, it's time for the Starland Vocal Band Mailbag. Our first letter this week comes from Barbara Streisand of Hollywood, California. Hmm. Uh, Barbara did not include her age. Remember to put your age on your letters, boys and girls. And if you're not sure, ask mom and dad. Barbara writes, Dear Starland Vocal Band, How old are you? How much do you weigh? How tall are you? P.S. Is one of you really John Denver? <laughs> well, Barbara, those are questions we get all the time. But believe me, they are the kind of questions we never get tired of answering. So here we go. The Starland Vocal Band is 113 years old. They tip the scales at a trim 538 pounds and are 22 feet 8 inches tall. In fact, if you laid the Starland Vocal Band end-to-end, -end, and I've seen it done several times, they would be long enough to cause passers-by to remark, call the authorities. And in answer to your last question, is one of the Starland Vocal Band really John Denver? <laughs> we hear this one all the time. No? One of them is not really John Denver, but we don't know which one. Well, that's all the time we have for the Starland Vocal Band mailbag this week. Remember, we cannot return envelopes, so send your letters in envelopes that you don't need anymore. You'll be glad you did. You could definitely see where David Letterman was going creatively. But yeah, Mike, it was your basic run-of-the-mill variety show, which didn't have much in the way of variety a la the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. I mean, the only thing that this show had over the Hudson Brothers was David Letterman, Jeff Altman, Philip Proctor, and Peter Bergman, and Mark Russell, and a pretty nifty-looking van. Oh, yeah, and a song about getting a little something-something in the afternoon. But David was probably hoping that this show would never again see the light of day, and Nowadays, I don't think he minds because he's made a legendary career for himself, but in the last three years, all six of these episodes have been uploaded to YouTube after years of being classified as lost media. So you can actually go to Starland and more, and you can watch all six episodes. Of course, some of them have Afternoon Delight, ripped out of them for copyright reasons, and understandably so, but all six episodes will be there as of the time of this recording. Anything else? That's it. That's it, yeah. Starland Vocal Band, one of the greatest one-hit wonders of the 1970s. David Letterman, one of the greatest comic minds of our generation. Jeff Altman, he would go on to star in a show with Pink Lady. Bill Proctor, he would do three weeks of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Peter Bergman, he would keep writing. But this show would continue to be a thing on TV. Oh yeah, and Mark Russell made a name for himself on PBS. Cannot forget that. Oh, and Chico, Mark Russell is also on a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares. Ooh, I was today years old when I learned that. I haven't seen the later episodes. I really haven't. I've been sleeping. It wasn't a later episode. It was like late 83, early 84, I believe. Okay, now I remember the episode. I did see them. But yeah, 
We don't have a happening ban, and we don't have David Letterman, but we do have over 400 episodes worth of content on our website. It was a thing on TV.com. We have all of the episodes, all of our minisodes, our live watches, and, of course, links to our social feeds, including our YouTube at It Was a Thing on TV. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our topics. And also, let me just point out one thing. This was actually the result of a conversation I had with another quizzer. So if you have an idea of a show that you want to see us cover, reach out. Don't be afraid. And that's going to do it for this show with a future Hall of Famer, Mr. Letterman over here. Next time we meet, we're going to have one who is actually a show Hall of Famer. And it's his birthday coming up. And and it's his birthday coming up. Well, we're going to celebrate it the only way we know how. And you'll find out next time right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to each other. And we will see you for the next one. Wow! Hey, guys. One more thing I want to add since we're on a Match Game Hollywood Squares kick. The week that Mark Russell was on... Phil Proctor was on too. So you had two people from this show on Match Game Hollywood Squares. Uh, it was actually early January of 84. I think it was the week before Bill Cullen was on. Now I definitely remember that week. Well, it's really quite simple. It's kind of like... Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. My motto's always been, when it's right, it's right. Why wait until the middle of a cold, dark night? When everything's a little clearer in the light of day. And we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Picking up, just working up my appetite. Looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Rubbing sticks and stones together, making sparks ignite. And the thought of loving you is getting so exciting. Sky rockets in flight. Woo! Afternoon delight. You guys have it, I think. Huh. Afternoon delight. I don't know, Ron. That sounds kind of crazy. Sounds like you have mental problems, man. Yeah, you got mental problems, man. Yeah, it really does. Man. Afternoon delight. <laughs>